Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. I just, I feel continually undermined. The job has always been that place where I've been needed and I feel important. A lot of the people that work for me are like an extension of my family. There's no doubt that your emotional and relational dowry comes with you to work. Imagine going to work every day in a really busy place and no one will make eye contact with you. I mean, it feels like a breakup. It doesn't feel. It is. So, how's work? What you're about to hear is an unscripted, one-time counseling session focused on work. For the purposes of maintaining confidentiality, names, employers, and other identifiable characteristics have been removed. But their voices and their stories are real. I thought it would be helpful for the two of us as we start into a new side of our relationship um, to kind of work through a very traumatic year professionally and personally that we both lived through. How we leave a job is key to how we establish the next one. With this creative pair, I would like to help them make a clean closure so that they can have a proper beginning. I want the experience we've been through to inform what we do, but I don't want what we're doing to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I want this to be something we do because this is the next kind of step for us, regardless of what happened. I don't want to be running my life based off negative things that happened to me. Does that make sense? So I'll tell you what, I, what I'm, uh, I'm hearing. You had a traumatic ending mm-hmm. that needs to be processed. And you want it to become one experience in a long history rather than the informative experience that now shapes everything you do. Outside of the last, the way it came unwound, it really was a good experience. I learned a ton that I make reference to every single day. So I'm, when I'm, I'm having a good day. I'm grateful that we went through that experience. But there's an overshadowing to it of the staff who were laid off, the staff who are still there and miserable, the creators who were working on projects that didn't work out very well. I mean, some people put a lot of time and effort into projects that just got canned. And it was basically, it's all because of me. That's what it comes down to. And what's your relationship to that? I feel also responsible for the people who came to work for us. Um, I feel pretty good that most of them have landed somewhere that makes them happy now. It felt like we were beheaded, essentially. Like, Mm -hmm. we were publicly shamed um, throughout the entire organization, and then we just had to sit there 
while all the people that we loved were moved somewhere else and given new tasks and not basically asked not to speak to us essentially you know it's like imagine going to work every day in a really busy place and no one will make eye contact with you i mean it's a super shitty place to be um makes you angry it makes you bitter it makes you i don't know i was at a party last weekend and someone asks me about the guy who laid us off for another project asked me about what i thought about him and i felt myself like He's a dickhead. And then I spent probably 10 minutes going off about how much I despise this man. That was way too much information to give at a at a holiday party, but like that still sits inside me. Um I want the world to know what an asshole this person is. I see this man that goes to the cheese plate and hopes to get a little piece of brie and and instead he gets a, me a menu of 10 minutes of a rant um, about a person he doesn't know and doesn't care about by someone who is in the grip of the bitterness that we can hold in it just pursues us it has a tenacity that is very painful let me just say that the words were not the most complimentary do you need together to have a certain code or handle on how you want to deal with this because i hear you you said we we were able to do great things we were able to learn a lot you know there is the the what was it three years yeah three, the three years yeah. and then there is the ending and um and at this point you're still close to the ending it is a part of your origin story uh -huh. but it shouldn't be a dominant theme of your origin story You know what I mean by the origin story, kind of how these two people came together, right. cannot be just framed around it. They were both sacked in this terrible way together, and da 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 da. da. Yeah. It's a piece, but it may not have to be the central theme of the origin story. Oh, I certainly hope it is not. So, but that depends on the two of you. Yeah. There, there are times when I can feel certain subjects really. Um, kind of igniting me. Um, and she's probably one of the few people in my life where I will just, if I need to go there, I will just go there. I'll just say, say the shitty thing that's on my mind. And I got to the point of telling her- Do you her, ignite each other or do you contain each other oh, at those know. moments? I think- Probably a bit of each, yeah. but yeah. I would imagine a bit too much igniting and you could use oh, more containing. I Would that be fair now? Do you think that we just kind of get it off our chests and move on? I mean, that's the way it feels to me. Does it feel that way to you? Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think we dwell in it. Right. Okay, but here's the thing. You probably will be wise if it's a small industry to not speak about any of this publicly. There's no point, especially if you have each other. Mm -hmm. You can just wink at each other and do your cross-referencing and maintain a complete, uh, you can just, you know, yesterday someone mentioned a name and they say, I said, oh, that's the person. And they said, do you know him? And I say, yes. And then I just looked. They can, you know, I didn't say, oh, fantastic. Yeah. I just said nothing, and I, silence speaks. You, do the high road. 
I, I hear you and I believe you. And the thing that I feel I fight against is every once in a while, it feels, I just feel myself gravitating towards the low road. I know, I know it feels good to vent and to get it out. You know, there is a fantastic line that is called resentment is like swallowing poison and fa- waiting for the other person to die. You understand? It's yes. like, so I, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, what would a small ritual potentially bring to you? A ritual, I mean, I like burning rituals or throwing away rituals, water rituals, you know, where you let something go. Somebody understood the power of rituals a long time ago for stuff that is kind of poisoning you. And in this case, it's something about doing a ritual together that kind of says, you know, it's a peace. It, we're not, we're not going to let it be central because the power of a ritual is that it's totally symbolic. It has a meaning that is bigger than the thing itself. I'm gay. You light a candle, you yeah. light a candle, you know, you know that you don't bring back the dead. But there is something about that candle and its symbolism about the light, about the perme- of the perpetuity, about the memory, about, you know, it's the same in the ritual. I happen to think that stuff that sticks on us, there's something about more than talking about it or processing it, which you will have done by then plenty. There's something about a ritual that is that can be really lightning it's also how do you become not just vigilant mm-hmm. you know uh, when you feel that you've been mismanaged mishandled you there's often a tendency to become vigilant you know who else is out there what else is that that we don't see this kind it 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 does rupture a sense of kind of basic trust in which often people have worked with till now a traumatic experience has the capacity of leaving people with a threat detector. So now you're looking for the resonance of that thing, and then it becomes a truth. And so you want to kind of be aware without it ruining you and running you both, yeah? We always have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C around everything. Like, it's like you constantly, professionally, you have to prepare for the worst to happen just so that you know, well, if X happens, I'll be ready with this. Yes, but that's about situations. I need alternatives in case this doesn't work out. What is do I do? You know, that's not the same as I got robbed. And now when I'm in front of people and they say, I like your shoes, I'm wondering, is that, are they going to get them from me? Yeah. It's a different thing. You know, one is just basically complex thinking. The other is actually reductionistic thinking. It's threat detector thinking. Is, is this the same? What am I sniffing here? How do we make ourselves so we can make each other aware of when that's happening? I like his question because he is not mired in the past and trodding vengeful fantasies. On occasion, he may have one. What he's really asking is, how do we make space for trust to be built? And that tells me a lot about the potential of this creative pair. 
Well, what will happen is that one of you will say, are we doing this thing? And the other one will say, no, 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 we're just being professional. <laughs> we're just, uh, you know, we're just doing our plans. And, and then probably there will be a bit of each. And the more you are not the same, the better it is. Just so you understand, the more you do not feed off each other, but actually differentiate in your responses around a particular situation, the better it will be. Right. right. Do you understand? This, to me, is also the strength of a, of a, of a pair. It's very important not to get seduced in joining the choir of the disenchanted, that lament together, gossip together, feed off the bitterness, but to have one person sink and then have the other one say, uh, 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 we don't go there. If they can play off each other in that way, they will protect the health of the new relationship and the next venture. When, when you think this relationship, my ideal version of it would be what? Are you asking both of us? Because I've read her like you. To go I'm first. asking just because this I is not about me yet. This is about you. So oh, you, oh, okay, all right. I, I just felt you're like going to talk. Talking to you. Okay. Um, my vision is to not to have a busy, dynamic range of things that we're working on, not too many, and my vision is that we will favor deeper rather than more both in the quality of work we do, the type of people we work with, of I would be happy doing eight, 10 projects a year and not trying to do, never trying to do 25 projects a year or 30 projects or whatever we, crazy number we were working on, right? And just, to me at this stage in my life, that would be fun. And, and that we have a group of people that we surround ourselves with who are both intellectually really interesting people to be around, dynamic, not everybody thinking or acting or, or, or being the same, um, and that it's a fun place to come spend a day. What's the vision and what's the trepidation for the two of you? I want to continue making things. We sort of talked a little bit about this, actually, even before we came in here. Not in relation to what we would say to you, but in sort of coming up with words that would describe the company that we were making. It was kind of a branding exercise. Um, and he asked me what I wanted to do, ultimately, and I said, I want to continue to make things that change people's lives. And the trepidation I have is, I just, we have had this very, um, I don't know, I, I have liked you since the moment you called me on the phone eight years ago. Never met you before, totally thought you were interesting. Um, and we have slowly, I think, become friends. And you feel like family to me now. And sometimes I don't want to risk that. That's very important to me. If suddenly you were not part of my life, that would, that would be very upsetting to me. So I don't want to fuck that up. I hope you don't fuck that up either. <laughs> It'll be my fault if we do, right? Um, I just don't want to do anything that would jeopardize the, the friendship and, you know, you feel like a big brother to me. Mm -hmm. um, I feel the same way about you. You may remember that when we realized 
um, last February or March, where things were kind of approaching a point of being irreconcilable, that um, uh, you said to me, you shouldn't be upset um, because you can do lots of things. I said, I'm sad because I don't get to do them with you. And I feel, I feel exactly the same way. I got offered another job in March, and when I had a conversation about it, I could have gone that way, but I wasn't ready to leave you and what we were doing together. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to fuck up this thing that we have. What I hear is, uh, if I went for the security, I would go alone to find another job. I am not doing this to be with you, and that puts me in a more vulnerable place in relation to you, because for you, for my love and our collaboration, I am putting myself in a way in a more precarious situation. And that's why you're being told, and don't fuck it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I can control my part of what I'm doing in making this choice, but I kind of depend on you. Mm-hmm. I didn't go there in order to be with you. And I want you, that's my addition to your sentence, and I want you to really understand that this is not a small thing. Do you? I, I do. I do. And I, I don't think it would be complete to not acknowledge the opposite as well. Meaning? You know? um, Can I just... Uh, yeah. did, did I understand that correct? You did. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, there's often temptation throughout this whole process to think, is this really the course or should I just go for the easy thing, right? And I remember it's a couple points, me telling you like, look, I'm gonna start turning down things because I'm in this, right? And I told you you could leave at any point because if I didn't, in our conversations about doing this, because if I didn't, I would never trust that you were there because out of something other than loyalty, to our friendship. And I wanted you to, I still want you to feel like if this isn't what you want to do at any point, you can say that and know that that's, that's going to be okay. But I want, I'm going to suggest to you that okay. you actually take it to the reverse. Uh-huh. Instead of saying you should know that if you want to go at any point you can go, it may be more effective if you actually say some version of how deeply touched or honored you are that your relationship is so important that she'd be willing. I don't think it's about easy. It's more about sure versus uncertain. And for us, and for what this means to me, I'm letting go of something else that is really very important as well. And when you are invested with such importance probably the place to start is with the acknowledgement of that investment. And I'm embarrassed I didn't think to say that. That means a tremendous lot to me. Um, You uh, putting your faith and your trust in me and making those choices is is very meaningful to me. Um, uh, I think you know that I feel very similar to you than you expressed towards me. And um, for you to be uh, willing to take a risk like that um, makes me feel very good emotionally. It, it also makes me more excited to work with you. 
Not that I needed that, right? I'm pretty much there to start with, right? Or have been the whole time. But that's, that, that is, um, uh, yeah, that, that, that means a lot to me. And sometimes I feel like a jerk because I'm like, I'm like very, it takes me a long time to figure out that I trust, but especially in the work, and especially if I'm going to give myself to something in such a big way, I, I have to feel totally that I can trust the person that I'm working with. I, I don't like a lot of people, and then but there are this core group of people that I like, and I know that I'm going to like them almost immediately. Like there's something about them that I feel, you know, you, you drawn say to. You don't like a lot of people. Are you aware of how many people like you and how much they think of you? Am I aware that people like me? How much people like you? Um, and how many people who interact with you like you? It's not like a polite thing. I mean, I, we've made jokes about this before, about, you know, I've got a big idea, and people like working with me because I have a big idea, but they want to spend every day with her. You know, and it's a combination. And... And I, sometimes I don't think you rec- recognize that about you. It's, it's incredibly powerful. You know, and, I, and, and not only does that make you a good producer, but it makes you an extraordinary person. And I don't use that word lightly. What strikes me in this moment is less about the fact that he says something nice about her and more about his observant quality the fact that he still is able to comfortably say, you know, people like you. He's noticing the ripples of relationships, those nuances, they matter. And at a time when men have become more vigilant and where simple statements can become so loaded, as if he's saying, you, woman, you're just a symbol of agreeableness. Your likability is important. I know that this goes way deeper. And I'm pleased that he can still make the statement he just made. You know, there are times when I look at you and I look at how much you've grown and I wonder at what point you're going to eclipse me and I'm going to be following you. I'm not joking. Yeah. You know, um, I've got a couple of years on you, experience-wise and whatever, but I, you know, I, I've watched you grow so much, especially in the last three years when you were put in a position to have that room in Expanse, and you filled it. And I, I, it would be foolish to think you are done with that transcendence at this point. So if anything, I'm looking forward to just kicking back and relaxing and riding in your coattails for the next couple of years. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Seriously. But you have given me those opportunities. All I did was clear the brush out. I know, but from, from a 27-year-old almost, Uh 28-year-old, you hired me for a three-month temp job, and you saw something in me that I had spent five years at a network trying to get someone to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel um, grateful in in so many ways because you um, have pushed me to be, you know, better, um, to ask for things and... um, I never wanted to be a vice president of fucking anything. Uh-huh. Uh, but I'm so glad I got to do that. And, and now I have... And you earned it. And I have these choices now where it's like I can be a creative lead on something or I can run the business side of, of something too. And that's something that 
um, I don't think I would have been drawn to, but I learned it, you know, while working with you. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No sooner did they begin to talk about the vision for the company and the brand that they actually went and did a very important piece of unfinished business, but of a particular kind, the kind that says, I just have never had the chance to thank you for what you've done for me. And sealing that is really important. So many business partners will focus extensively on the brand, on the business, on the goals, and not on the relationship. What these two people are doing is actually crucial for establishing the business partnership and the successful brand. But, you know, you're transitioning from a mentorship relationship. Uh-huh to a creative pair. Because you were not just the boss. What I'm hearing from you is you, you, you mentored me. You, you saw in me. You developed it for, with me. You believed in me. You know, and, uh, uh, and as many mentors and teachers have said to their students, and one day you'll be the teacher and I'll become your student. You know, there is that switch, you know, the teacher who goes with the student and now they become collaborators. And then one day the student becomes the teacher and, uh, and there is an age issue involved, there is an experience issue involved, and then there is a gender issue involved, mm-hmm. which in some cases, some cases not. 
so there's three different levels, you know. Uh, when you enter a room, everybody notices the, the gender composition of the pair. Right. You know, uh, and there is something very beautiful in saying you're the likable person, you're the affable person, you have great ideas, but you're also the one that seals the relationships. I come in with a big idea. Uh, in some contexts, that's actually really valued. In some contexts, it's, you know, he comes with the great ideas and he comes with the, with the young, pretty girl who's going <laughs> to... seal the deal. <laughs> Close. You know, she's the nice one. You know, she, she, you know she's the, the arm candy. You well, know? in my defense, I'll say I hired her for that three-month contract. I've never, I've never even seen you before. That's true. That's true. But I'm not even thinking that would be your view right. on her. I think that I can see people's responses when you walk into rooms. Yep. You know, I, I, and I absolutely your, sure that happens. Your effort is to establish yourself. You know, I'm not his arm candy, and I'm not just his underling, and I'm not just, uh, you know, whatever the just is. Uh, and... Uh, and then for you to, to, to also be free of having to play that traditional role of, you know, I'm, I'm the, the, the deal guy, the ideas yeah, guy. I, you know. is, actually, I don't like that kind of binary, but it, it applies more than it doesn't, it I think. It does. Yeah. And I, that, doesn't, that is not who you are to each other, but that is how other people will at times start by seeing you. And then you're going to need three minutes, if not one, to educate them. Right. Well, it's like I also... Uh, uh, that doesn't end there, too. I think there are times where people try to, who have worked with us or know us, try to box us into, like, things as far as a working relationship. Who does what, yeah. Yeah, and and uh, that and also um, uh, something I said once that I regretted, um, I told you about it, was once I kind of blurted to someone why I start things and she finishes them, which, you know, actually does happen, but it's not the way that I want it. I want to describe it. Um, I also hate, I don't know why I hate this, but I hate when people talk about us being like work spouses, which people do periodically, and I just shut it down. I'm like, I don't like that frame at all. Because it, it, it has a hierarchical element to it that I, I've never liked. And plays into this whole thing about the, the, the guy and the girl. Of course, they, there has to be that kind of framing for that relationship. And I, I refer to you as the little sister I never had. I always wanted an older brother. I was the oldest, and not to get into my family dynamics, but I didn't have a very positive male figure in my life for the beginning of my life. And even at that, it was an interesting. It was interesting. It was an interesting role in which the the man in my life was, uh, whatever. Um, but I actually would not say whatever. I would say that there's no doubt that your emotional and relational dowry comes with you to work. And each of you has a history around trust, around men, women, gender, power, uh, uh, relationship versus task. You know, I love to ask the question always, you know, were you raised for loyalty or were you raised for autonomy? Hmm. What would you say? Um, I think my... It's interesting because I, I think that there actually is two answers. I think my family raised me for autonomy, maybe even more than they should have. Um, uh, my parents came from very broken families um, and n didn't really understand a functional relationship. They actually have a pretty good marriage and have had a pretty good marriage for the most part. 
but they raised me with an undertone of, you need to not depend on anybody. Right? Look at what happens when you depend on people. So, so I'd say that when, I, when I'm being true to my nature, I think the answer is loyalty. But my upbringing from my family was definitely autonomy. Do it yourself. Don't depend on anybody. And you would say? Um, ex- I don't think it was a conscious effort on, on my, my mother's part to raise me to be anything but self-sufficient. Um, my mom had no choice. My mom worked. My parents divorced when I was really young. My mom moved all the way across the world, and we lived in Hawaii. My mom had no family, no friends, nothing. She joined the Army. And, you know, I, I've, I've always done things myself my whole life. I, I, my mom worked nights when I was in kindergarten, and I got up, got myself ready for school and walked to school as a five-year-old. You know, that's just, that was the way that my life was. That is always how my life has been. Um, we moved so much in my childhood. I went to three schools in just first grade alone. Um, we moved all the time. It seemed sometimes pointless to make friends. So the relationships that I have that I feed and maintain and maintain me, I've made it work. Um, and I am very loyal, I think, as, as, a, as a friend and a colleague. Um, but when you are raised to the degree that you were for autonomy, you can imagine the stakes when you allow yourself to rely on others. They're high. Even if you look at the work that I do, um, I like to wear all the hats in, in my job. I like to do every single thing on a project, I think because I have control issues over that project and that makes me feel good. Right, and many people who are raised for autonomy have a harder time delegating. They rely on themselves. If they have a problem, they try to solve it alone. They may have more trust issues. As in, simply, I've, done, I've never really learned what it's like to rely on other people and to think that they're going to come true and they're going to be there and they're going to show up and they're going to do it as well as I would. Right. <laughs> That's the uh, other yeah. piece, of course. They're going to do it as well as I would. Um, because otherwise, I may just do it myself. Right? You know, you're probably going to like a team of other people who are all self-motivators, self-starters, you know, people who do, who do things on, on their own and beyond what is expected, and they even know more what they need to do than you would know yourself, you know, because you're going to staff. And so you, that, that dimension here is a very useful one in your staffing. You know, on the other end, people who are raised for loyalty are more likely to tell you when they struggle with something. Right. That's not going to be the one who's going to hide it for two months trying to figure it out alone because they're too embarrassed to let you know that they don't know how to do something. Right. You and I are very different, even in the way that we work. Yeah, right. I want to yeah. talk about structure and clarity. And somewhere purpose. between the two of us, we figure so it out. So how was it like to start today without any clarity and structure and purpose? Um, I don't think that's the case. I think that, like we sat down, as we mentioned, we got together in a coffee shop before we came over here and did this little quick little branding exercise that my wife had suggested. And 
I was not surprised at all how quickly we worked our way through that. I'm going to come up with six words that describe not only the work, but the company, like who we, what we want to represent to the world. And what did you say? What was the first one, remember? Uh, disciplined? Mm-hmm. Imaginative? I think it was curious. Curious, right. One, we, we, imaginative was a runner-up. Mm-hmm. It's a part of, it, it, it's a part, there's many parts, you know. What's a part of your identity that you would say was given to you? It's part of a legacy. It's part of what you were told or what was emphasized for you to be or not to be. And what's a part of your identity that you've chosen? I know one answer. I know what I've chosen. And that kind of community or kind of the, the uh, um, group of people that I'm, I'm surrounded with, um, that is purposeful. Where I started to realize how much other people influenced my, my kind of satisfaction with the work I was doing, how much I needed them in order to do what I wanted to do. And, and kind of grew to love and respect them and, and, and be eager for interaction with them as a result of that. So that's why I've chosen. That was a long choice to make. Yeah. I guess I feel like for most of my life, I had to overcome hmm. who I was and what I was given. Um, if that makes, that sounds terrible. I mean, I, I grew up in a house full of love where I had food on the table. I mean, these are first world problems, but I grew up um, in a home which was very, um, very disconnected, I think, with the world, not curious. Um, educated, but my mom was the first person in her family to go to college. So her whole side of the family thought that my mom was too good for them. Uh, and, and that was reflected upon me too. They thought she was mean and hard on me. Um, she just wanted me to do better than she did. And, um, and you did. I did. And so I would say that was, that was given to me. I swear I picked this before you said what you were going to say, but it's so amazingly similar to what you said. Um, you know, I am two generations off the factory floor. My parents were like weird aliens in both of their families, that they would go to college and have professional jobs and do all these things. And so I, you know, I always felt, and was what I was given was that if I coast, I'm just going to be, like, like upward mobility was like, that's what I was given was this idea of you can aspire to be more than what your natural lot is in life and your natural lot is not that great. But I don't see myself as ambitious, which I've said to my husband before and he laughs. But like, I would never describe myself as ambitious. Would you? I would, but I think you're different than that. I think you're, you're, you're not afraid to have a vision. And it's not just for your professional work, it's obviously for your personal life, too. My family thinks I'm strange. In fact, you know, no one came and to my wedding because they chose this. They think you're conceited and too oh, good for them. totally. Yeah. When I go home, not my mother, but my extended family, they don't ask me anything. They don't ask me about my children. They don't ask me about my life. They don't ask me anything. It's like I don't exist. 
Um, and it's so strange to me because I am interesting and I am making fun things and I'm curious about their lives, but they are not curious about Is that mine. a social grace thing or is that just that they just think you're an alien creature? Maybe it's both. Maybe they think they don't, un they don't understand my choices. Literally no one came to my wedding yeah. from my family. My, my parents, that was it. Not even my grandfather. Like no, nobody showed up at my wedding. And you consider that a first world problem? You know, many people wish they would have first world problems and the ones they're grappling with, you know. But it does tell me why your first value for both of you is discipline. That discipline as in purposeful. Yes, as in directed, as in nobody's going to clean up for you, as in nothing is too high for you or too low for you, as in all of that is discipline. Yeah. You know, uh, knowing all levels is one nice way of telling it. The other one is to say, you know, the lower stuff is not uh, below you right. kind of thing. It's not, mm -hmm. you know. And, uh, um, but the fact that you put discipline, discipline is what moves people you know, from one class to another, from one set of opportunities to another, you know. And interesting that what you think you've chosen is in fact what was given to you. What was given to you is your mother saying, I want you to do better. But she didn't just say it professionally. She probably also meant it in personal choices and in options and in deliberateness and in, you know. So... Even when you chose your husband and you think that that's part of how the parts that I chose, the kind of, the legacy of it is the legacy of your mother. Do better than me. Uh, have more options than I have had. There's a huge legacy. And I think that your management style fits that as well. So to me, all of this is a, is a legacy line in the best sense of the word, you know. And I would not look at it as superficial because it actually drives you, even when you ask the question personally or professionally, I do not differentiate these things because the way you're going to do the professional and the values that you've put in your branding are completely derivative from what you've experienced on the personal course you have in it curious and that curious is in opposition to the lack of curiosity that you have in your family to the fact that the world doesn't exist for them so they're not even curious about the person who doesn't live amongst them so when I come home who nobody has a question because they wouldn't know what to ask I still know their world they don't have a clue about my own and because I have everything they think I need nothing so they don't even have to show up at a wedding because she won't even notice it, because she's have a whole life there in the big city. You're not the first person who leaves to the big city. I mean, there's a whole fiction telling that story. <laughs> <laughs> it's a literary genre, you know? Yeah. And, but here you are, you put the word curious as the number two. That too is legacy. The legacy is what you had and what you didn't have that you want to have. It, it's, a, it's a very simple question that actually drives rather deep. And so you, 
cannot imagine that that will not be a part of the way of, of, of the way you work and what you choose to do and the projects that you think are meaningful because we, we you know there's something integrated inside of us that it's not visible but it drives your sensibility. It drives what you think is important. It drives who you want to talk to. It drives how you manage the people you're with. It drives who you pick, even if it's not the obvious reason at first. But when you start to look at the glue, that becomes a piece of the glue. You know, we don't take things for granted. We are not of the pretentious kind. We feel deeply responsible for the people that we hired. We don't feel like our moving on will be legitimate until they all have had the opportunity to move on as well. And on and on like this. How is this, by the way, for you? It's good. I, 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 a couple points have really resonated with me of, I am really walking away from today um, with a feeling that I need to be much more, I don't want to say cognizant or aware, but acknowledge the risk you're taking in this that you talked about earlier. Starting off as a joke and then really kind of becoming something that needs to be acknowledged that I need to respect and show my appreciation and, and gratitude for. Um, that but, was a blind spot that I had walking in here. I but I, I did pitch you on this, you know, like, and I... I am walking into this. Okay. You, you Thank just you. To, that's right. Thank that's you. exactly <laughs> what it needs. Nothing more. Thank you. But you know, it's incredible because you're so used to doing it all yourself that you really, what you just demonstrated in this moment is how hard it is to receive. Because if ever something was to happen, I could see you come to me and say, this was such a big risk for me to trust him. How could he not see that? That will be the rupture point. So when he says it, he's nailing it. And there's nothing to do but to just say he gets it. Of course, because it's scary, because it ups it even more, the fact that you get it. This is in a paradoxical way. Yeah. Then you want to say, but look, it's not really because I'm the one who convinced you, brought this to you, and then you go off into a blah, blah, which is part of it, but it's irrelevant. Because he actually knows the vulnerability point of this relationship, of this deal, if you want. And you're right. It's exactly that. That is the point. That's it. That's why I say shoot. Just because it will f trample it when you're actually saying the essential. So receive. Go ahead. Well, thank you for acknowledging that. Taking that away with you. I don't know. I, I, I guess... I, I know that you're important to me, but I think this sort of signifies how important you are to me, and I'm not sure that I had really registered that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we struggled to find a word to describe what we were, and I think we kind of settled on, you know, you are my creative partner, mm -hmm. and, and, and I want to live up 
I want to live up to that. I want to be your creative partner. I want to be your equal. Um, and yeah, you matter to me in a huge way. And I, I, I absolutely do. I do trust you. I don't have any hesitation on that um, at all. Thank you. And you have no idea how that makes me feel. Because I know it's a lot for you, and I know that we've worked hard to earn it. And it would have been more common for you to also turn on each other and each one save your own skin. It happens, yeah. And the fact that you were able to protect your relationship in the face of that is very important. I think I was following, do you remember the advice I used to tell everybody? That in five years you won't remember half these people are involved in this, but you will remember how you were and how you behaved and then always make sure you're honoring yourself. And I think that we did that. Because in five years we will look back and we'll remember very few details, but we will remember how we felt during the time you and how we acted and how we treated other people. You want fire, air, or water, or earth? I want to burn it. Uh, I, I'm with the burn. You're with the burn? Okay. Yeah. I, there's something poetic about rising from the ashes, too. I think that's, I think that's our ritual. Great. Okay, you'll tell me. So, shall we go? Yes. It's time to throw these in here and say goodbye to this chapter of our life. All right, well, um, I'm going to burn this because this was a terrible memory. Oh, my. God knows what toxic fumes are coming off in the car. Okay. Esther Perel is a best-selling author, speaker, and host of the podcast, Where Should We Begin? To learn more about Esther Perel's world, to sign up for her newsletter, or to apply to be on the podcast, go to estherperel.com slash housework. How's Work is produced by Magnificent Noise for Gimlet and Esther Perel Productions. Our production staff includes Eric Newsom, Eva Wolchover, Destry Sibley, Alex Lewis, Kristen Muller, and our coordinating producer is Lindsay Rutowski. Our recording engineer is Noriko Okabe, and Damon Whittemore is our mix engineer. The theme song was written by Doug Slaywin, and the executive producers of How's Work are Esther Perel and Jesse Baker. We would also like to thank Nazanin Rafsanjani, Matt Lieber, Darian LeBeach, Courtney Hamilton, Kelly Rose, Nick Oxenhorn, Dr. Guy Winch, Paul Schneider, Thomas Curry, Shani Avaram, and Jack Saul. <laughs>